Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter at Cleveland.com, Mr. Chris Fedor, who is getting ready yet again to go on a road trip, and hopefully this one is a little easier and a little better than the last one. So, Chris, how are you before you get ready for this little road trip, not nearly as bad as the uh, the one that you were on before? Buddy, I'm good. It feels good to be home. Um, it feels good to be very, very close to the All-Star break. I think everybody around the NBA, including the Cavs, could use the All-Star break. I know I could use the All-Star break. So it feels good to to feel like you're getting to the halfway point of the season, even if it's the unofficial halfway point. Yes, and certainly it is going to be the unofficial halfway point. But um, yesterday, the NBA did announce that the the second half of the NBA schedule for every team, um, including the Cavaliers, Obviously, it's 72-game season this season as opposed to the 82 in a regular year. Um, but the, the All-Star game is, is or the All-Star week is fast approaching. Um, only three games left for the Cavaliers until that All-Star week. You got Philadelphia in Philadelphia on Saturday and then Monday at Houston and then back home versus Indiana on Wednesday, March 3rd. Cavaliers currently at 12-21. and 21. Um, And before we get into what's going on with the Cavaliers now, Chris, I wanted to ask if there was anything specifically that you saw in the second half of the schedule that, you know, took you any specific way, one way or another. Yeah, man, it's easier. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the Cavs going into last night's game, Hayden, they had the fifth most difficult schedule in the NBA. And look, somebody's got to be number one, right? Somebody's Mm got to have the hardest. But the Cavs were banking on the fact that their second half of the season schedule was not going to be as grueling. It was not going to be the relentless stretch that they had over the last 10 games. I mean, the 10 game slide that they had was so schedule related to a point where Hayden, I'm not sure. And I haven't analyzed this. I'm not going to analyze this. I'm not going to waste my time on it, but I'm pretty sure that there is nobody in the league that is going to go through that same kind of 10-game stretch that the Cavs went through. And I think people have to recognize just how brutally difficult that was. I mean, it was playoff team after playoff team after playoff team, championship contender after championship contender, no opportunities for practice mixed in there because there was travel, because it was on the West Coast, change of time zones, things like that. So, you know, The Cavs looked at a mock-up that they got of the second-half schedule about two days before um, the actual schedule was released. And they could tell, just from looking at it, that um, the games were going to be more spaced out. Uh, The games weren't going to be as difficult as they were, especially in February. And I I think for a team... um, that, that went through what it went through in February, the fact that it's a softened setup pushing towards the playoffs is obviously going to help them. Absolutely. We have so nine days off between their last game of the first half yep. and their first game of the second half. Uh, they're going to start off the second half in New Orleans and then Atlanta and then Miami. They have a couple of you know longer road trips. Uh, they have another kind of big one coming up in March. Just uh, one, Sacramento, though. Or excuse me. Um, Chicago, L.A., Sacramento, Utah. 
Um, and then they are home versus Philly, but then they go to Miami, San Antonio, and Oklahoma City. So that's a little bit of a tough stretch. But you're right. A lot of, you know, divisional matchups, Chicago, Detroit, Washington, or the, which is not a divisional matchup, but, um, you know, a lot more East Coast teams and not as many grueling, grueling, grueling stretches like they had in the first half. So certainly it looks to be a much better um, yeah. um, second half for the Cavaliers uh, in that way. But as I mean, April is going to be pretty tough. April is going to be pretty tough, Hayden, yeah. because there are 16 total games in the month. So that's mm-hmm. a really condensed schedule for them. Um, in the second half, there are nine sets of back-to-backs. That's just something that NBA teams are going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, their longest road trip is going to be tough because it's four games over six days, which is right. just ridiculous. But it's only a four-game road trip. Um, in the first half of the season, the Cavs had multiple long road trips. I think both of them, one was a six game and the other one was a five game. Um, and the other thing that I think is going to benefit them is basically what you touched on. In the second half of the season, there are 14 matchups against the Western Conference. 14, that's it. 22 against the East. And, and some of the teams out West that they're going to be playing, Sacramento twice, right? Dallas twice, um, it's a lot different. There are levels to good in the NBA. I I think we recognize that. I think we have seen that throughout the course of this season. So, you know, playing Dallas, while, yes, they have Luka Doncic, playing New Orleans twice, while, yes, they have Zion, and they're a team that has playoff aspirations, that's still – those two teams are still so far away from even the Portland Trailblazers, right? Or the Phoenix Suns or the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, So there are going to be, quote-unquote, winnable games for the Cavs in the second half of this schedule. Um, It obviously doesn't help them that they're getting Chicago at a time that Chicago's on the rise as opposed to earlier this season. It doesn't help them that they're playing Toronto when Toronto's going to be playing well, has been playing better, as opposed to getting them early in the season. Um, But... I mean, there's no two ways around it. The second half of the season is going to be easier than the first half of the season for the Cavs, and that's going to give them an opportunity um, to try and make up some ground here if they can do that uh, when it comes to the other teams near the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, you mentioned, um, obviously, that the Cavaliers went on the long long, um, losing streak, 10 games, lost to Denver and Oklahoma City at home after that long, grueling um, stretch in uh, on the West Coast, uh, but they come back and they beat Atlanta in a close game, one twelve to one eleven, and they beat Houston last night, one uh, twelve to ninety six. So, Chris, I mean, given that everything that happened during that road trip, as you mentioned, just a brutal stretch in terms of a lot of things, injuries. You know, we mentioned Larry Nance, we mentioned Kevin Love, we mentioned, you know, just a lot of these, a lot of things went against them. I think just winning those two games at home. Um, certainly helps. Obviously, any win helps, but like winning back-to-back games at home yeah. as they head into the All-Star break um, can certainly kind of boost their morale for the second half yeah. of the season. I mean, obviously, this is a team that, again, playoff aspirations, as we mentioned, were not super high, but definitely was their goal. Um, and still, the Cavaliers are obviously looking at that as a goal. But the back-to-back wins, I thought, was not insignificant for this team on back-to-back nights. Oh, definitely not. And I think J.P. Bickerstaff said it best, Hayden. 
I, I think too often people get caught up in the result. And you might be saying, shut up, Chris. It's a result-based business, right? right? Wins and losses is the only thing that matters. Yeah, for some teams, that is correct. Um, for a team like the Cavs, I don't think that's the proper way to look at it. And if you're somebody that that is judging this team on a night-to-night basis based on the end result, I think you're doing it unfairly. Um, the way that J.B. Bickerstaff explained it, I thought was really, really smart. I don't know if it was following the Atlanta game or if it was last night. They're kind of all blending together at this point in time. Right. But he said the guys needed it more so that they could feel like the process was giving them the results. And then they can sit there and say, well, this is what it takes to beat Atlanta, right? This is what it takes to beat a team like Houston. This is the way that we have to play. And if you're a team like the Cavs and you're a competitive group and, you know, you haven't won a lot of games over the last two years, um, when you're a team like them, it, it's it's an interesting situation because like you're going through this rigorous schedule and you're not getting the results that you want. You can be playing good. You can be doing positive things offensively and defensively. But if you're not getting the results, it can be harder for humans to buy in, right? I mean, people started freaking out. Fans started freaking out about the Cavs during the 10-game losing streak, saying that Kobe Altman needed to be fired and J.P. Bickerstaff needed to be fired, and the Cavs had to overhaul everything they were doing offensively and defensively because fans are emotional, right? Well, players can be emotional too, even though the front office has kind of been trained not to make emotional decisions like that, and the coaches the same kind of way. They can't get caught up in that. Players are emotional, and sometimes they need to see the results. Sometimes they need it to show up on the scoreboard in the win-loss record. And and I think, you know, the two wins most recently show the Cavs, yes, if we play this kind of way more consistently, we will get these kinds of results. Maybe not every single night, maybe not against every team in the NBA, but enough of them where we can feel good about ourselves and the progress that we're making. That's the player perspective. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And uh, and I think when they think about it too, I mean, again, we, the last time we had this podcast or we the last episode of this podcast was last week about this time. And um, still we were just like, okay, well, Kevin Love will be back by the weekend. Kevin Love <laughs> is still not back. Yeah. Um, and Matthew Delabadova is still not back. And, you know, Larry Nance Jr. is out. Like, those are three pretty significant pieces of this Cavs team. Um, And, again, I don't think either of us is trying to make excuses for them. But, you know, certainly having those those guys in the fold at some point, especially when Kevin Love was probably expected to be back by this point and had a little bit of a setback, um, it certainly can't help, you know, this the the results that they're looking for. Right. And I think from a fan perspective, again— and and I wrote this the other day in a column for Cleveland.com, Hayden. Yeah. And it, it was essentially the Cleveland Cavaliers' recent collapse doesn't mean the rebuild is failing. Right. Um, think about this. Like, there's probably a good feeling or a better feeling about the Cavs today because they won two games against Atlanta and Houston, right? But But think about how ridiculous that sounds and is. So all of a sudden you feel better about Kobe Altman and J.B. Bickerstaff 
and Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and the young core that the Cavs are building because they beat Atlanta and because they beat the Houston Rockets because like shots started to fall and they were better offensively. I mean, that to me is so ridiculous. Right. Like even when you're losing games in the NBA against better teams than you, more talented teams and teams that are further along, that doesn't mean that everything is bad. And I think it's so, so hard, but the only way to do it, Hayden, is to evaluate this team independent of results because that's the only thing that this team is set up for right now. They're just not ready for the final judgment. They're not ready for the final evaluation. Um, and, and they can lose a bunch of games in the second half of the season coming up. They can, and they can finish with like the second worst record in the NBA or the second worst record in the Eastern Conference or whatever it is going to be. That doesn't mean the rebuild is a failure, and it doesn't mean that Kobe Altman should be fired. It just means the team is not ready yet to be good enough to have it matter. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're going to get into this conversation, I definitely see it from your point of view. Um, it's just that, you know, I think that every, anyone, if and again, this is this is a hypothetical, so I guess it's it's not really worth talking too much about. But, you know, you mentioned, okay, the Cavaliers, second worst team in the league. Does that, I mean, does that show progress? Does that show... Does that show growth? I mean, yes, you can look at it of on course. an individual basis. Right. You can look at it on a Colin Sexton basis and a Darius Garland basis. And, oh, individually they got better, but the team still didn't get much better. I mean, at what point are we evaluating the individuals against the team? So here's the thing. Like, I've been saying this for a long time. What is a win-loss record? It's the measure of a team against another team. The yep. Cavs right now, as a team, as a collection— aren't as good as a lot of these other teams in the NBA. That's okay because that's just where they are in this rebuild process. But that doesn't mean that everything's a disaster. It just means that them against the other guy is still such a small margin for error for the Cavs. Like you have to ask yourself, I think at the end of this season, if they do finish with like the second worst record, you have to ask yourself why, like, what is it that led to that? And, and I don't know how people are expecting the Cavs to consistently win games when they're starting four players 22 years or younger, when their most important veteran players that often um, lead to wins in the NBA, that often help these young players get wins in the NBA. I don't know how they're supposed to consistently win when those guys are either injured or just sitting out because the Cavs are working on a trade for them. I think there's just a reality of where they are in this particular rebuild that even if they only win 20 games or something like that, that doesn't mean the season is a failure. And that doesn't mean that this isn't working. And it doesn't mean that they're not taking steps forward because as an organization, they can be better, right? They can improve even if the win-loss record doesn't. Like if you think about last year, Hayden, yeah, as an example, last year, right? Mm-hmm. A big part of the reason why they were winning games in the first half of the season when they were winning games and they didn't win a bunch of them. But when they were, it was because of a veteran like Jordan Clarkson. It yep. was because of a veteran like Kevin Love. And then in the second half of the season before the shutdown, they were winning games in part because of Andre Drummond. 
right? The Cavs yeah. don't have those kinds of guys right now. Larry Nance Jr., hurt. Andre Drummond, sitting. Kevin Love, hurt. Matthew Dellavedova, hurt. Youth doesn't win a lot of games, but yeah. youth can also point to progress. Youth can also point to a brighter future. I think it's just tough when you, you know, when you look at some of the other teams in the NBA and you got guys that are pretty young. Right. And like, you know, doing great things. And like, not that, again, not that Colin Sexton hasn't put up numbers. And he's you know, in the all star consideration, for God's sakes. Say it again. I mean, Colin Sexton's been in the all-star conversation, for God's sakes. Yeah, no, I understand that. But it's just, I think, again, when you're just, when you're looking, when you're grasping for things to, like, you know, okay, you so often, and I understand, listen, I understand exactly what you're saying. Like, yes, of course, we're talking about, you know, we can't always base success on wins and losses and, and, and you know, numbers and whatever. But so often, that's what sports are. And that's, you know, we, right. we judge success based on, okay, well, this guy hit, you know, 300, so he's successful. And this guy mm-hmm. um, scored 25 points a game, so he was successful. And this guy, you know, threw for or had three interceptions, you know, that's successful. Like, yeah. we always have numbers and, and, and things that we, we base success on. And for this Cavaliers team, to be honest, there just isn't a lot of things that point towards success in as the— As a whole. Yes, in the, as a whole, as a collective, yes, yes, in the right, in the in the very you know typical way that we evaluate success. Now, I'm not saying that that's the that's the right way to 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 evaluate success and the only way to evaluate success, but it's just I think it's just been very hard these last couple of years to have to have not really like like say Colin Sexton was an all star that would be a measure of success that would be something like okay that's like that's something that fans can grasp onto right. This just there just hasn't been a lot for Cavs fans to grasp onto in the last couple of years. But but hold on, because I, I think that's flawed, to be honest with you. Because okay. if we are doing it from an individual standpoint, right? If we're evaluating Kobe Altman that way, if we're evaluating JB Bickerstaff that way, same thing with Colin, Darius, Isaac. So let's let's do it with Sexton. Let's take it piece by piece. So you yeah. have Colin Sexton here. Yeah. He was the eighth overall pick in the 2018 yep. NBA draft. He wasn't Luca. Yep. He wasn't Trey. He wasn't even friggin' DeAndre Ayton. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was the eighth overall pick. The only argument that you can have today is whether the Cavs should have taken Shea Gilgis Alexander or Michael Porter Jr. over him. And there mm-hmm. were circumstances obviously tied to why the Cavs went with Sexton over those two guys. Mm-hmm. But even if you think that Shea should have been the pick or MPJ should have been the pick and MPJ hasn't shown that he should be. Um, but even if you believe that, right, like it's not an egregious miss with the eighth overall pick. The Cavs have this player and he's not going to be an all star. He's not because there's too much competition, especially at the guard spot. There are too many guards that have been better than him. But for him to be in year three as the eighth overall pick and be in the all-star conversation and show that he can contribute to winning because he has done that. And his numbers show that the Cavs are a better team offensively and defensively with him on the court, which is something that wasn't the case last year for that to be him in year three. That is a huge success. And I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't know if ultimately you know, he's going to be the cornerstone of this rebuild. I don't, I don't know that. I don't think he can be. I think it's really, really difficult to build around 
an undersized combo guard. Um, that's just the reality. A lot of NBA teams have struggled with that sort of thing. Right. But Colin Sexton has been a great pick by this front office, by any measure. And this year that he is having, even though the Cavs only have 12 wins, point to a guy who continues to ascend and continues to make positive strides. So Colin is a success. If if we're talking about Darius Garland again, here's a guy who was lost as a rookie, completely lost. He was, um, by some stats, Hayden, he was the worst player in the entire league. Correct. Right? And here he is in year two, um, averaging around 15 points per game, six assists per game, showing that he can get where he needs to on the court, showing that he can make his teammates better, showing better passing than I think a lot of people um, thought he was capable of. Like, what's wrong with that as a sophomore player? Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that shows massive strides. You can question the fit with Colin Sexton. You can question maybe if the Cavs should have gone with Rui Hachimura or Tyler Hero instead of Garland with the fifth pick. But this is a starting point guard right now in the NBA um, that continues to look better and better and better with more experience. Hard to say that that's a bust, right? And, right. and you can keep doing that with all these pieces of what the Cavs feel like is the core. Jared Allen is one of the best young big men in the NBA. Larry Nance Jr., before he got hurt, was leading the NBA in steals, and he was one of the most impactful players on this roster, one of the most impactful players in the entire NBA. Like, that's, to me, how you have to do it. And if you start piecing it together that way and start looking at the pieces that matter most, the core players that matter most, all of a sudden, you have Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Isaac Okoro, way too early to give up on him, Larry Nance Jr., Jared Allen. All of those guys are most important to Cleveland's future success. That's probably not going to translate to winning right now, but individually, all of them have been good or better than they were last year. That's growth. That's improvement. That's development. That's true. And I would add... Uh... Dylan Windler to the list. I mean, his rookie year, finally starting to put it together, yep. uh, has made his last 10 three-point attempts for the Cavaliers. Uh, had 13 points last night, was 404 from deep. I mean, we, you you know, we've talked about Dylan Windler. I mean, that's a that's not an insignificant pick for the Cavaliers, a guy that just, you know, hasn't been able to find it with injury and whatnot. But, um, you know, he's definitely been a bright spot, I would say, in his young career, just now kind of really getting after it and, and developing under our eyes. Completely agree. Um, if he can be that kind of guy consistently, he's the kind of guy I feel like that lifts the offensive ceiling. We spent how many months talking about what the Cavs were missing from Kevin Love? Like, they don't have that floor spacing. They don't have that three-point threat. They don't have a guy who's willing to take those threes. You know, a lot of these guys on this roster hesitate to take those threes, and they don't hoist them at a high rate. Um Kevin Love is that kind of guy, right? Well, Dylan Windler has a similar type skill set. He's a high basketball IQ guy. He's a ball mover. He cuts without the ball. He passes really well with either hand. 
He can knock down threes. He spaces the floor. Like, the things that the Cavs were missing from Kevin, even though they're different players and they have different makeups, those are the things that Dylan can bring if yep. he continues to knock down shots and if he continues to, you know, have the kind of confidence to just fire away at will the way that he has these last two games. Well, I think confidence will come with time, too. I mean, You yeah. would think. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. Like, he brought yeah. this up last night after the game. We think he's an old dude, right? Because he kind of is. He's 24 years old, and Isaac right. Okoro is 20, and Darius Garland is 21, and Colin Sexton's 22. But but in terms of NBA, he's played 18 games. Right. Yeah, he's exactly. not the typical rookie because he came into the league in 2019, but he's played 18 games. He's a baby by NBA standards that's still trying to figure it out and basically just trying to walk. As you mentioned, you wrote, uh, you just wrote a piece on, or as we mentioned that, we you just wrote a piece on Dylan Windler titled, Dylan Windler's starting to figure it out after a slow injury-filled start to his NBA career. And it is a uh, one of our stories on our website that is a subscriber exclusive, but also subscriber exclusive and something that we do need to talk about is Chris's subtext account. Anything you want to know about the Cavaliers, uh, analysis, updates, news, notes, whatever, go to the subtext. You will you can go to Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial when you start. All you got to do is go to the cleveland.com slash Cavs page that this podcast is being posted on, and you can put your number in uh, right underneath. It's going to be right underneath the podcast player. You're going to see a nice picture of Chris with his phone up. You're going to put in your number. And you will immediately be signed up for Chris's subtext. So, like I said, three ninety nine a month after the fourteen day free trial, you'll get all the info and analysis that you need from Chris. Again, anything he's hearing about the Andre Drummond trade, anything he's, anything he's hearing about Kevin Love, anything he's hearing, hearing about Matthew Dellavedova, Larry Nance Jr., anything he's hearing about the guys that are actually on the floor, you can get it via subtext. So, one more time, again, three ninety nine a month, fourteen day free trial. Go find it, Chris's uh, Chris Fedor subtext. You will get all the Cavaliers' analysis, notes, news, and anything you could ever want right there, even before Twitter, before he puts it out there for everyone to uh, consume. So definitely consider doing that. Um, Chris, you know, I wanted to mention this as well. Mm. Um, as we talk about, you know, everything going on with these Cavaliers, um, yeah. we forgot to mention the Broderick Thompson two-way deal. Thomas. Um, Close enough. Excuse me, Thomas. Yes, yeah, sorry, Broderick Thomas. I read You're like my time. iPhone that's correcting his first name and correcting his last name. I'm like, no, iPhone, this is how you spell his name. It's weird, but that's the way it is. Broderick Thompson sounds like a different – anyway, it sounds it, – maybe it's just the double syllables. Broderick Thomas yep. is the player the Cavs brought in from the Houston Rockets. He was a two-way player with the Rockets and a two-way player. He will be a two-way player with the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers have waived Marcus Bolden, a big man. So – um Chris, is this a guy that, you know, the Cavaliers have, have had two-way contracts before? Um, Dean Wade starting to get some time with Cleveland. Um, is this a guy who is going to see the floor for the Cavaliers, going to spend most of his time in Canton? Where do you see uh, Broderick Thomas uh, ending up with, in terms of Cleveland? They haven't decided yet. They're still trying to figure it out. He's in Orlando right now in the G League bubble. He's been playing with um, Kevin Porter Jr., actually. Yeah. And... Yep. Uh, He's been playing well. Uh, I think he's top 40 in the G League bubble in scoring or something along those lines. The Cavs like his size. They like his versatility. They like his shooting ability, his rebounding potential. 
Um, I just think if you look at the makeup of the roster, they needed another guard with size. A lot of their guards are so tiny. So you just never know. You never know what's going to happen with Matthew Dellavedova at this point in time. You don't know what's going to happen at the trade deadline when it comes to the Cavs. Um, this is somebody that obviously the Cavs liked. Um, he was just released from his two-way recently by the Houston Rockets, making him available. And the Cavs felt like this was somebody that they wanted to pounce on. Um, you never say never with these two-way guys, Hayden, because yep. if you would have told me um, at the start of the season that Lamar Stevens would be in the every-night rotation, I would have laughed in your face. But here he is on a two-way contract getting about 15 minutes a night and getting critical minutes, especially at the end of the game against Atlanta. So it's entirely possible that we do see Thomas. I, I just think the Cavs have to figure it out. I would say in the short term, probably no, because they're still good enough at the guard spot, and Damian Dotson has kind of been bouncing in and out of the rotation. He's the emergency fill-in point guard. He's the shooting guard. He can play some three every now and then if they go really, really small. So, like, he's that kind of player, I feel like. That's how the Cavs are looking at him. So I don't think in the in the immediate future that he's going to be with the Cavs. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. True. And I think the funny thing is that he came from the Houston Rockets, maybe a pseudo part of that Kevin Porter <laughs> Jr. trade. In some way, shape, or form. As somebody uh, tweeted to me yesterday after I posted that news, they took the wrong guard from Houston. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that that's not the only, that person wasn't the only one to say such a thing. I mean, Kevin Porter yeah. Jr. doing a nice job in the uh, G League. But, again, uh, we've discussed just Cleveland. I, I just don't think the fit was there at the end of the day, and they needed to move on. Yeah. So it, it makes – you know, it's unfortunate because, again, I think Cleveland was very high on them, on, on Kevin Porter Jr., but uh, certainly there was a reason for his departure. But you mentioned uh, Lamar Stevens definitely getting, you know, an opportunity, proving he belongs. Dean Wade, I mean, getting an opportunity. He's been starting. What do you make of these guys, you know, coming in and, um, you know, making themselves their, their presence felt despite everything that has, uh, that has you know, been in their way, for about lack of a better term? I mean, good for them. This is unbelievable that they've been thrust into this kind of situation. We were talking to Lamar Stevens the other day just about what he expected when he came to the Cavs on a two-way contract. He said, I had no idea. I mean, he probably looked at the situation. And he was like, there's no chance that I play. Are you kidding me? No way. I'm going to be in Orlando. I'm going to be in the G League bubble playing for the Canton Charge. But Lamar's getting an opportunity and he's making the most of it. And Dean Wade here is getting an opportunity. He was told the other day by assistant coach Lindsey Gottlieb that he was going to start in the Atlanta game. And he was like, excuse me, I'm going to what? I haven't played. Yeah. I haven't played in weeks like, like at all. I haven't seen the court. I haven't taken off my jersey. Um, but he was told that he was going to play and he had to be ready and this was an opportunity for him to step up in, in a specific matchup against Atlanta and then again against Houston. So you have to give these guys a lot of credit. And I, I mean, I think the human side in me feels really, really happy for these guys, knowing the grind, knowing for, from Dean Wade's perspective specifically, there was a five o'clock deadline 
yesterday, where if he was on the roster beyond five o'clock, his contract was going to be guaranteed. Because of that, there was a very real possibility that the Cavs wanted to move on from Dean and said, you know what? No, we're not keeping you on the roster. We're not going to guarantee your contract. You're not worth it. So imagine being him, right? And and having that deadline looming over you. Uh, these are real things that these guys are dealing with, especially end of the roster types, fighting for their lives, fighting for their careers. So to see Dean go out there and play 20 minutes in back-to-back games against Atlanta and Houston and make an impact and, you know, help out the starting lineup and give the starting lineup something it had been missing, um, some size at the power forward spot, a legitimate power forward as opposed to taking a small forward and putting him at, at the four by necessity, you know, you feel good for these kind of guys. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Dean Wade especially has, you know, been around a little bit longer than Lamar Stevens and yep. has made his way into the starting lineup, which is definitely an interesting thing. But the only reason Dean Wade is in the starting lineup is because um, of guys like Kevin Love and Darius <laughs> Jr. who are out. And Kevin Torian Love. Prince and Andre Drummond and the Torian list Prince goes on and on. So Kevin Love specifically, because, you know, Torian Prince seems like, you know, it, it, he is working. He's he's kind of been in and out day to day. But Kevin Love was supposed, like I said, we've talked a little bit about this. He was supposed to be back um, sooner than we sooner than he has been met back. <laughs> um, and now he is still out and likely. I mean, Chris, do you see him coming back before the All Star break? I'm done trying to guess this when it comes to Kevin Love. I'm just I'm just going to continue to report the things that I know and the things that I hear as opposed to guessing. Because they're injuries, right? Like, we can sit here and say, yes, he was ready to play, and internally the Cavs were targeting that Oklahoma City game over the weekend, right? And then two things happened. One, the NBA added Denver in the schedule on Friday, so that took away one of the other practices that the Cavs were going to have. And then two, Kevin felt some pain in his calf after going through back-to-back days of practice. And that's all part of it, Hayden. How does your body respond? Um, For some of these guys, it takes a little bit longer because their body doesn't respond as well. Um, So I, I think the stance that the Cavs are taking is that Kevin is 32 years old He's been dealing with a lot of injuries. Calf injuries quickly turn into ruptured Achilles if not treated properly and pushed too soon. We've seen it with on um, um, DeMarcus Cousins. We've seen it with Kevin Durant. Uh, the Lakers are going to be really, really cautious with Anthony Davis for the same kind of reason. Um, so I would admit that it's probably a little bit longer at this point in time than I expected Maybe even the Cavs expected, but if Kevin's still feeling some kind of pain, having some kind of symptoms, uh, the Cavs are in no hurry to rush that back, knowing what it could turn into, potentially. Yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want that to be, like you mentioned, you do not want that to be an Achilles. I mean, you know, he's already missed enough time, and then for it to turn into an Achilles injury would just be catastrophic. Um, especially given just the lack of time he's had on the floor, and then Matthew Dellavedova, poor guy, can't get can't get a break. Oh my god! So seems like he's coming back from a concussion, and then he has an appendectomy. Yeah. Just well, it, it, go ahead. I mean, uh, guy's got really really bad luck at this point in time. I yeah. think he even tweeted it. His luck is bound to turn around at some point in time. Yeah. 
but it's been really good, Hayden, to see him out there. Um, he's been on the bench for the last yeah. two home games. He's been supporting Darius Garland, giving tips to Colin Sexton. So the fact that he can be in the arena, um, a bright place, loud yes. noises, that good points sign. to a positive recovery when it comes to the concussion protocol. Because there was a time, what was it, about a month and a half, where yeah. he couldn't even be around the team because of that. And then you add, you know, I mean, now you're going to have to add to the appendectomy. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. it's not an insignificant recovery time. Right. You know, for a guy, especially who's just coming back from the concussion. So yeah. you add all that into the equation. Yeah. And then Larry Nance. Um, any updates in the way of Larry Nance? I mean, again, the All-Star break coming up shortly. He would probably be around that four mark right about after the All-Star break. Now, it's it, they said four to six weeks for the, yeah. for the you know, surgery. That can always be, you know, that's just a landmark. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. ever super accurate. Everybody feels differently. Yeah. Um, but any updates on Larry in that regard? So this is the other part of the equation. Larry has had hand injuries in the past, too. Yeah. So that's something that the Cavs are going to have to consider. Got his cast off recently. Um, was out there on the court before the game last night. Um, he was on the court with Kevin Love. They were taking shots together. Larry had some kind of protective brace on his left hand so that it didn't hurt when he was catching passes and things along those lines. But he was able to do an on-court workout. Um, and the way that it was termed to me is that it, it's a great sign with how his hand is responding and recovering that he already has the cast off and he's already able to get some shots up. Yeah, I mean, the Cavaliers would love, 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 love to have him back. No, so, it's so important. I mean, that's, you know, that's a, that's a piece that helps in so many different ways on the floor, off the floor. Um, I, I mean, mean, that's the other thing that makes it so hard when we're talking about evaluation of these young guys, Hayden. Yeah. Right now, we're trying to evaluate Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Isaac Okoro when the starting power forward is who? I mean, Dean Wade for the Dean last Wade. two nights who we know, end-of-the-roster type, fringe NBA type. Yep. And then before that, it was miscast Jetty Osman, who is not a power forward. Putting him at the four just exacerbates all the weaknesses that the Cavs have on the defensive end of the floor yep. and even some on the offensive end of the floor. So I think we all have to be cognizant of that as well. We have evidence of how this team looks when they're surrounded, how these kids look specifically when they're surrounded by veterans like Andre Drummond, like Larry Nance Jr. So like we shouldn't lose sight of that because right now they're surrounded by guys who um, aren't going to allow them to be at their best or even bring out their best on a consistent basis anyway. Right. Um, And just a couple games. So go ahead. And and, I mean, like the Andre thing, can't be overlooked either in this whole equation. Um, Even though it's probably better that he's sitting on the sidelines and giving this opportunity to Jared Allen, JaVale McGee is starting to get those backup center minutes, and JaVale has been hit and miss. I mean, this entire season, JaVale has been hit and miss. I just think that's who JaVale is. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, his entire career, he's been a hit and miss. That's a really, really good point. And yeah, Andre was 
in in many ways he was sabotaging the offense because of his style because of wanting those post ups and that high usage rating um and he he didn't have the same level of buy in on the defensive end of the floor that he did at the beginning of the season as part of the reason why the Cavs tailed off but taking him out of the mix yeah you give more minutes to Jared Allen that's great he looks like a star in the making in the middle of a team um but at the same time, that means you also have to give some of those minutes to JaVale McGee. And a drop-off from Drummond to JaVale McGee, there is one. We'll all admit that, no matter how Andre was playing in that stretch. The good news for the Cavaliers is that Jared Allen has been spectacular. Oh, God. Isn't he great? Spectacular. Like he's everything that you would want um, when you're talking about rebuilding this organization. Yep. Low maintenance, doesn't need the ball in his hands, understands his role, shot blocker, screen setter. He's just the kind of guy. I think Larry Nance Jr. said this and J.P. Bickerstaff said this as soon as the Cavs acquired him and we're seeing it. He's the kind of guy that makes you better every time he's on the court. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Last night had a career high, or Titus career high with 26. Um, I think it was an 11 of 12 shooting and just a fantastic performance out of him. A great dunk down the center of the lane as well. That was insane. Um, he is, he's, I mean, that. I'm not going to go as far, I mean, okay. That was, that was something. It really was. I'm not going to go as far as to say that he's, you know, I find him more intriguing than Colin Sexton. I do. And that's just my personal opinion. And that's not something that, you know, people care, who cares what I think. <laughs> but, but. But I just, I just think that he, like, he's so, like, Colin is still kind of, we're still trying to kind of evaluate what kind of a player he's going to be, what he's going to do. Like, Jared yeah. Allen, I think we're already seeing. Like, that's going to be, that's a guy, you know, who could very well be that player in Cleveland for a long time using, you know, as you said, great screen setter, doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective, athletic, you know, get, get, does a good job defensively, shop locker. Like, you know, I, I think that everything that, I think we know what he is. So for that reason, I just can't wait to see him continue to blossom in that role that is kind of already defined. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I don't think you're the only one that probably has this stance. When it comes to Colin, I think a lot of people have been wondering since he was drafted, what is his ultimate ceiling? And and I think there are a lot of people that feel like he has more of a limited ceiling because of his size, because of his style, and because of the position that he plays. Now, I don't think right. that's a wrong stance. I've defended Colin from the very beginning, in part because I think some of the criticism that he has gotten has been off base. I think it's been unfair to some degree. And because right. he's been good, like he's producing. You don't have to wonder whether Colin is going to be good. You know he already is good. Like, we were talking about Michael Porter Jr., right? Like, so many things attached to MPJ is about potential. And you feel like he's going to be better because of his size, because of his athleticism, because of his unique skill set, because he was once looked at as one of the top players in that particular draft class before the injuries. But he hasn't shown that, right? He hasn't done that. He hasn't lived up to that. When it comes to Colin, you know that he's good. You just don't know how much more you're going to get out of the guy. Right. I think right. that's what it comes down to with him. With Jared Allen, you start to see him play. You start to 
kind of spin it forward. He's good now. He's impactful now. And you're like, well, there's more that you can pull out of him, right? And then you start getting those visions of this guy could be an elite center in today's NBA if he continues to expand his game. Right. And I just wanted to mention, too, that that's not a slight on Colin. I don't I'm not. No, I get it. I get what you're saying. I think Jarrett, you know, is already kind of there. And I think, you know, the position he plays obviously isn't as exciting, but certainly just the way that he plays it is more in tune with the modern NBA than probably a ton of other centers in the league, including Andre Drummond, who obviously was more of the traditional center and and used was trying to be used as such, which I think (laughs) is why uh, he's no longer being used at all. Speaking of Andre, I mean, the rumors continue when it comes to Andre. Here's the thing that I would say about Andre. Uh, I was talking to somebody in the NBA about this recently, Hayden. Um, thought they explained it in a pretty good way. There are a lot of people that expect that he's going to get bought out and that there isn't enough interest around the NBA to trade for Andre. There are two things that I keep hearing. One, like the Cavs are under no delusion of what they're going to get back from Andre. That's why they weren't worried about, quote-unquote, losing leverage. Like, it's not like they go from getting a first-round pick, a high first-round pick, and now because they've made this decision to sit him, his value goes to, like, two second-rounders. Right. His value is what it is, whether he's playing, whether he's not playing, whether people know that he's available or don't know that he's available. His value is what it is. It's not changing. Um, The other thing that I keep hearing, Hayden, is that, okay, so let's say that the Cavs don't find the trade partner. Let's say they do have to go the direction of a buyout. Where do you think he's going? Hmm. I mean, it's either, to me, it's either Brooklyn or the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. Right? So if you're a team like Toronto and you need a guy like Andre or Dallas or New York or any of these other teams – that have been mentioned recently. Do you honestly think that you're beating Brooklyn in a buyout situation? No. Seriously? No. You have one chance of getting Andre Drummond, and that's by trading for him. So that's, I think, going to potentially create a market that people don't see right now, is that these other teams that have that need and have the pieces that could make it work from a salary perspective if they start to feel like this is the guy that we need and we're not going to get him any other way, we got to go out and trade for him. It's very possible that one of the teams looks at it that way. Brooklyn obviously wants him to get bought out. That would be best for Brooklyn. The Lakers probably want him to get bought out. That would be best for them to try and make a run at him because they don't have the pieces in a potential trade. But a team like Dallas or New York or Toronto, you've got one shot to get Andre Drummond. You got to trade for him. You're not getting him in a buyout. Cavs, Cavs are not getting Chris Stapps Porzingis, correct? God, no. Are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, I, there, there's... Go to the trade machine right now. Go to it. You know, I'm, I'm just... I, I know people listen to this podcast. I like to throw in some things sometimes. So, you know. All right, you want to do a fake ESPN trade machine for Andre in Dallas right now? We can do that. It's not going to be Porzingis. Uh, So here's what it would look like. And this is not going to excite people at all, but it's just the reality of what the Cavs could potentially get back for Andre Drummond. 
So Dallas gets Andre, makes twenty eight point seven million. So then we have to start from. I'm Dallas's literally pulling it up right now. Okay. Yeah. We have to start from Dallas's perspective with either Tim Hardaway Jr. on an expiring contract that is big, or James Johnson on an expiring contract that's big. Let's say it's James Johnson, right? He doesn't have value to Dallas. Tim Hardaway Jr. helps them okay, right so now. Let's let's just start like this. Andre Drummond for Kristaps Porzingis works. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Don't do that. People are going to take you seriously. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so we've started with James Johnson, right? Yes. That's obviously not a lot. That's a name on a contract. It's an expiring contract. Well, the Cavs are going to say, okay, we want something other than that. We need something other than that. So maybe Dwight Powell. Okay, so now you've got James Johnson, Dwight Powell. It works from a salary cap perspective. Does that excite you? No. Probably not. But that's a young athletic center that, that I don't know. I don't know what Dwight Powell is at this point in time. Yeah. He's basically fallen out of the rotation in Dallas. But, like, that's the kind of deal that that you're going to have to make. And, and from the Cavs' perspective, they have to ask themselves, all right, so Dwight Powell, now we're taking on $33 million over the next three years with his particular contract. That's risky for the Cavs even to do, let alone Dallas being willing to make that kind of trade. Right. You also have, looking at Dallas, um, I personally would do a Boban for uh, Boban for Andre <laughs> Drummond deal straight up as well. Boban, <laughs> one of the true treasures of the NBA. But no, and also Luca would yeah. rebel. Say it again? Luca would rebel. Oh, Luca would rebel. He loves him some Boban. So, I mean, who doesn't love Boban? Yeah. I mean, that's... I'm just thinking selfishly here, you know? Yep. Boban and Cleveland would be fun. Anywhere. Sure. Boban anywhere would be fun. But yeah. but the Cavaliers probably are not in the market, you know, for uh, a big man like Boban at this point, especially if they're just getting rid of Andre Drummond. <laughs> no, but it's like that's the point. When it comes to any kind of trade for Andre, the pieces that come back to the Cavs are not going to be meaningful. No. It, it's kind of like which contract – are they most willing to absorb? And it's probably going to be a bad contract. It's going to be a high number because you have to get to 28.7 million. Yep. So sure. it's so they're going to be on the hunt for expiring contracts like that so that it doesn't um, affect their situation moving into the future so that they don't take bad money into the future. You know, Dwight Powell in that hypothetical trade with Dallas, that's bad money into the future. The Cavs aren't all that interested in doing it. Um, but not a lot of people have enough expiring contracts to match the salary that Andre makes of $28.7 million. The, the Knicks are an interesting situation because, one, they have Brock Aller in their front office, who was yeah. part of the Cavs' front office that brought in Andre Drummond. Correct. And, two, the Knicks have a lot of guys on one-year contracts, right? You can start with Frank Nielakina. Maybe the Cavs feel like he's a centerpiece of that deal, a reclamation project similar to Dante Exum. Um, and then the Knicks are under the cap. So the stipulations when it comes to matching salary are a little bit different. Right. It makes, yeah, I mean, there, I mean, there are definitely places where you can get these contracts. It's just a matter of 
you know, what's going to be what team wants Andre the most. I mean, do you do you foresee like I, I just can't foresee the Cavs just buying him out. I, I just I don't see that. They don't believe they're going to have to go that direction. They now they've been wrong before. They're probably going to be wrong again. Not everything they say is correct, but they do not believe they're going to have to buy him out because they've already heard from eight to ten teams that have interest. Now, look, some of those teams that they've heard from obviously have more interest than others. And some of those some of those trade suitors are more real because of some of the salaries that they have to offer. Um, But there's they feel like there's enough interest in Andre that that they're not going to have to go the buyout direction. I don't think Andre wants the buyout either. Well, like, Mm. okay, let me rephrase. I think he would love to get to Brooklyn. I think he would love to get to the Los Angeles Lakers, but a buyout affects his free agency this offseason, which is already questionable in in terms of if if the Cavs buy him out, all of a sudden, whichever team picks him up, Brooklyn or the Los Angeles Lakers, hypothetically, um, that team doesn't inherit his bird rights. So that's something that Andre has to keep in mind, and that's something that could affect his free agency, which is already a huge question, given given his style, um, given the way things have gone wrong for him towards the end of this Cavs tenure, um, and given the how how teams look at, at centers like him. Exactly. All of the above make a lot of sense. Um, before, Chris, we go, anything else that you want to bring up? I mean, the Cavaliers, again, just have a couple games left before the All-Star break. I'm sure you are looking forward to the All-Star break as you've been traveling around um, pretty consistently with this Cavaliers team. And hopefully the travels have been better as of late. Or you haven't really had any travels as of late, but you will have travels in the next couple of days. Yeah. I'm planning to run the Rocky Steps in Philly. So wish Ooh. me luck. Okay. Like it. I, I don't know if I can do it, but I feel like since I climbed Mount Everest in the Portland snowstorm, I'm feeling frisky thinking that I can run the Rocky steps. Yeah. And then, and for those of you who don't know, um, the steps of the, Mount Everest has actually moved um, <laughs> from the Himalayas to, yeah. um, to Portland, Oregon. Yes. Right. So, right. So the mountain, the mountain actually is no longer, you know, in in Asia and in, in out of this country. It is currently in Portland, Oregon. All right. So you can go. All right. You can go check it out. <laughs> Just it was it was my Everest. Thank you very much. You His try Everest. you try walking in a snowstorm a mile up a hill I'm, over a bridge to the Moda Center while you're I not do, in the right equipment and you're carrying a backpack with a computer in it. I do not have any desire to do that. That was my Everest. Thank you very much. Yes. But if you're looking for Everest, <laughs> it is the bridge that apparently you have to cross to get to the Moda Center that's, over in that's Portland, right. Oregon. That's so, right. So if you want to have the, you want to do the Chris Fedor challenge, do that in a snowstorm. <laughs> the problem is, is that they don't really have a, a snowstorm to, for you to do it in anymore. So Chris was just the unlucky one that had to conquer his personal Everest in Portland. Um, hey hopefully man, you will I'm not sure. have any of those issues. Say it again. Dude, I'm sure that given the fact that they don't love rock salt and they don't have um, snowplows, that many of them, I'm sure that there is still some snow remaining in Portland after that snowstorm. Oof. I can't guarantee that. Oof. Even two weeks later. But, I mean, they would have needed a lot of warm weather to melt that because they have no other way because sand is not going to work. They And they, I just don't understand how they don't understand that. But anyway, 
people in Portland, if you're out there, Portlandia fans, yeah. uh, home of, uh, of I believe, Nike. Shannon Fry and uh, Kevin Love over and in Nike. that area. Say it again. And Nike. And Nike. Yeah, they've got that right. great They're, like, The birthplace there. of like, one of the most technologically advanced like brands in the United States, and they don't know that rock salt doesn't work, or, rock, or sand doesn't work to, to melt snow. I don't understand. Um, but as I mentioned, Cavalier is going to Philadelphia on Saturday, and then they'll be in Houston on Monday before returning home. Uh, to t- take on the Indiana Pacers on March 3rd at 7 p.m. So, Chris, hopefully you won't encounter any snowstorms in Philly or in Houston. I would highly doubt. I mean, Houston, I mean, I am, I'm actually on a serious note hoping that everybody down yeah. there is doing okay. I mean, it's been a really, really tough time in Texas and you know, everything that's happening there. So hopefully you don't have too much trouble there. Hopefully they're doing, you know, a lot better. And, uh, and then you get to be home for the All-Star break, which will be a good thing for you, right? Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it. Because next year you will not have an all-star break. No, it's in Cleveland. Correct. Colin Sexton 2022 all-star in Cleveland. Could it happen? Could it happen? That is what you wrote about. And again, if you want to check out Chris's writing, go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, as I know a lot of you do. He wrote something about the Colin Colin Sexton all-star snub, so go check it out. Uh, But that's what he said. Colin Sexton said next year. That's why they have it in Cleveland next year. So his goal... Um, certainly one of his goals, obviously outside of, you know, team success is to be an all-star in his home state, in his own, or excuse me, in his, um, the, the state of his team in yeah. the arena that his team plays in. Yeah. I shouldn't say his home state because he is not from Ohio, but alas, anyways, um, thank you, Chris, as always for joining us. And like I said earlier, go check out Chris's subtext, three ninety nine a month. 14-day free trial. You will get all the info, analysis, news, notes, and anything else Cavaliers-related that you want from Chris Fedor. He will send it straight to your phone via text. Again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. He talks to a lot of people, and he will have those um, you know, some some insights that nobody else will have, and uh, he will send them to you before he sends them out on Twitter or anywhere else. So again, $3.99 a month. All you got to do is find the link below and put in your um, put in your phone number. Again, that link will be on the cleveland.com slash Cavs post where you will see this podcast being posted probably very soon after we record. It's now 3 in the afternoon, so probably around 3.45. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Appreciate you. And Chris, as always, thank you. Any last words? No last words. That's all, brother. Appreciate all it. All right. Go get your stuff done. I know you got a lot before the trip. <laughs> Will do. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day. Enjoy the sunshine. Take care.